Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up, YouTube? Uh, this is Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. SoundTheTrumpetMinistries.com, and tonight what we're going to talk about is the fruit of gentleness. The fruit of gentleness. Now, why is this important? Because I think a lot of people, when they see gentleness, they look at it as it's some sort of weakness, you know, in men, especially in Western culture. But we must understand that gentleness has many different levels, and we're going to be talking about those things that the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did, we're going to explain how a lot of people that were gentle, you know, showed in many ways great strength. So this is the type of thing that, you know, we're going to be talking about tonight. So um, I actually want to get into a quick psalm before we go into um, the study tonight, but I think we're going to have some understanding. We're going to get revelation as to what gentleness is. And of course, this is nothing I'm going to do with myself. This is all going to be of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, let's get into it. So I want to begin at Psalm 18. And because this is such a long Psalm, let's get into, uh, I want to begin at verse 30. So it says, as for God, his way is perfect. The back word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. So as we can see, our Lord Jesus Christ is a weapon to us if we stay with him, if we make our refuge in him. Okay, he is our shield and he's our buckler. So then it says in verse 31, for who is God, save the Lord, or who is a rock, save our God? If uh, it is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my feet perfect. So as you can see, God covers all fronts. Not only God is not only is the Lord our protection, but he's also that sure foundation which we can rest on. You see. So this is what's so awesome about the Lord. Let's look at verse 33. He maketh my feet like hinds feet. And it says and setteth me upon my high places he teacheth my hands to war, so that I bow, so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. So he's even speaking here of the Lord strengthening him and giving him the ability to do things. But I love the part when it says, He makes my feet like hinds feet. Like in other words, you know, this world or the things of this world want you to be lowly and down and dirty. And we were all that way when we were unsaved. But now it's speaking of the Lord lifting us upright to have a purpose, to have ways that are like the Lord, that we don't have to live lowly, that we can walk in higher esteem with the Lord. Okay, so then it says, uh, thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation and thy right hand hath holding me up and thy gentleness hath made me great. Now we must understand because if God's plan is for us to reach perfection in Christ, then we know that aside from God's grace, there's absolutely nothing that we can do. So it's important that we also have an understanding of, 
you know, when he says his gentleness maketh me great, God's gentleness is his grace. It is his ability to suffer long. It's his love. It's all the things included. We're going to actually read tonight how we talk about that. You can compare God's gentleness to as it being a strong hand with a soft touch. And only God can do such a thing. Have you ever seen a lioness playing with her cubs? Her cubs may take the game kind of serious and they're biting her paw and they're, you know, grabbing on her and trying to be all frisky. And she just, you know, swats them and they fall down. They get up. She just swats them lightly and they fall back down. But that same paw that can nurture and show love to a cub can also has the strength enough to break a zebra's back or to knock a man's head off. So we know that they have so much power, but you truly don't understand gentleness if you don't understand strength. So it is awesome how God is strong. God is powerful. God is mighty. But God's love and his grace allows him to deal with us gently. Because if God dealt with us sternly, we would break into pieces. So it's just so amazing how his gentleness and this fruit of gentleness that we're going to talk about tonight is what God stands for. You know, this is what God wants. He deals with us as children, you know, to be strong and to handle something with nurturing and care. That shows a lot of strength, even when your patience is tried and, you know, people are doing things to you. And even when your kids don't obey you, even when your wife gives you a hard time and you can be a strong and mighty man. But the very fact that you deal with them with gentleness shows an awful lot of strength because a lot of people can fly off the handle, just start yelling and screaming and, you know, trying to flex and show muscle. But there's so much more strength in gentleness. Now, this is not you know, I'm not promoting some weak, soft, sensitive gospel. I'm trying to tell people that it's so easy to fly off the handle. That shows weakness. But when you can stay in control and deal with situations, even if they are trying, that shows a great deal of strength when you can handle something gently. It shows the, the love and the mercy and the strength of God. So from here, we're going to go into prayer and then we're going to get right into this lesson of the fruit of gentleness. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits, thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions, Lord, and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my brothers and sisters online others within the ministry, Lord. I'm thankful for my brothers that are prayerful for us in other countries. And I ask, Lord, that you watch over them and that you guide them and that you show them with your sign of gentleness that you're always there. Lord, I'm just asking in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, we pray in Jesus' name that your spirit stays strong, Lord, that you put your anointing of teaching upon us tonight, that we place no confidence in the flesh, Lord. Let no man's heart be glorified and no man be heard, but only by your spirit, Lord, that you may open the eyes of those who can't see and the ears of those who can't hear, that they may find you, Lord, and do all that you ask. 
Lord, I am a bit under the weather and not feeling my best, Lord, but I thank you for your strength and your ability that you're giving us to go forward. So I pray and I ask for you are the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just, and true and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, you know, we're grateful to the Lord for that strength because, you know, all it takes is for God to raise up once and there's nothing that we could possibly do about it. So we just need to be really grateful for the gentleness of the Lord because that is the true love of God. That is the strength of God, how we can do things. And he's angry with sin all day long. And so many times we don't obey his spirit, but there the Lord is good, faithful and true and make sure that his people can make it in. You know, what an awesome God. You know, tonight we had an incident just to show you a sign of God's gentleness and his grace. Tonight, uh, you know, you guys know Sarah, you know, she's a part of the ministry in Anna. We all went out tonight to try and feed the homeless, you know, and look out for them. And it was funny because I usually get a certain amount of sandwiches that I try and bring out there so that they can eat. And Last night, I could have swore that I brought more sandwiches than I did, and I only had, you know, I was short one sandwich, and I'm like, oh, man, I got to go back and get them. So instead of going earlier in the day, we went later in the day. You know, the Lord just told me to go before we went out to feed them, and as I was going out back and forth to the store, or as I went out to the store, we were right in front of the supermarket when we heard like eight to ten shots ring out. You know, and it was so funny how we were like, wow, you know, if it was just a few minutes or if we would have been in the area where we feed the homeless, you know, um, uh, before, you know, there's a chance that we could have been caught in that crossfire. So you see, God is good with all that he does with his timing. He'll even leave a sandwich and make sure that you miscount in order for his will to be done, that we can walk with him and do his will. You know, and that's how faithful God is and how much love he has for us, because we must walk by faith and not by sight. We can't see all the dangers, but God does. So, you know, we just want to thank the Lord for that particular thing, because, you know, that's God and his goodness and all that he does. So without further ado, let's go to Galatians 5. I always want to go to Galatians 5 so we know which fruit of the spirit we're talking about tonight. So we're going to go to Galatians 5, and let's begin at verse 16. Galatians 5 and 16. You know, you know for us to be men, we got to learn to exercise this, this gentleness, because I believe wholeheartedly that that's why the Lord put me in the education system to deal with. You know, sometimes kids can be troublesome, but if you don't have certain fruit, the Lord Jesus Christ will give them to you because he wants you to be able to grow and become more like him. So let's begin at verse 16. This is Galatians 5, and it says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So this is the Lord making it clear to us through our brother Paul that the war that goes on with us daily is flesh and spirit. The flesh will never obey Jesus Christ, but the spirit will 
because the spirit is the place that we commune with God. So we need to get weaker in the flesh and stronger in the spirit that we may follow the Lord and do the things that he says. And this is the reason why. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So that means that you are guided by God's spirit and not yourself. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh. So when he talks about the works of the flesh here, he's speaking of all the things that can come to you or will manifest when you walk in the flesh. So he says they are, um, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we understand that if we walk in the flesh, we can't do the things that God wants. Galatians, not Galatians, Romans 8 actually talks about that, you know, the carnal mind is the enemy of God and it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So God doesn't work with us in our carnality. God works with us in spirit. That's why the Bible tells us, for them that worship God, they must worship him in spirit and in truth, because it makes clear that those that are in the flesh in, Galatians, in uh, Romans 8, they can't please God. OK, so this is why we must walk with God and learn to do the things of God in spirit so that we can commune with God. So let's look at this. Look at the reward for those who are walking in the spirit with God. This is verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. So tonight, the fruit that we're going to be speaking of is the fruit of gentleness, because I think it's played down by a lot of people. But it's important that we realize that if we're going to you know, um, follow God, that we got to have these fruit, that we can be like Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 24, and they that are Christ, those who belong to Jesus, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. So those who are true followers of Christ will not be led of their flesh, but they will be partaker of the spirit and the fruits of God. So he says in verse 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another or envying one another. So that's just really important that we have an understanding of this is that if we walk in the spirit, then we can do those things that are pleasing unto our Lord. So let's move on. I want to also tell people why these fruit are necessary. So we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And let's look at verse 5, 2 Timothy 2 and 5. Bear with me, guys, one second. Okay. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's look at uh, verse 5. And it says, and if a man also strive for masteries, Yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So Paul has made very clear that there's a race that we are running from the day that we're born 
until the day that we die, that we die, we are supposed to be in this place where we will um, get to know Jesus, run our race with patience unto eternal life. Our race truly begins when we become born again and we know of Jesus Christ and we learn of him. Because if we tend to fight and not want to know Jesus, then we're just the walking dead. So your real life truly begins when you find and discover Jesus Christ who he finds you and we begin to learn to put things aside and walk in his ways. This is what he means by striving lawfully. We have to give ourselves over to the Lord completely so that he can work in us and these fruit can manifest in us. So he says the husbandman that laboreth must first be or be first partaker of the fruits. So what fruits is he talking about? Love, joy, peace, long suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance, and faith. The Bible says for such there is no law. So in order to be those righteous trees that Jesus spoke about, we've got to be partaker of these fruit so that we can do the works of Christ. Look at verse seven, what he says, consider what I say and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So when we consider the things that Paul is saying here about being a partaker of the fruit, then we began to have understanding that we are supposed to be righteous trees for Christ and we ought to be fruitful. That's one of the first commandments that God ever gave um, the uh, man, you know, when he told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So, you know, that's what we need to understand is God wants us to be fruitful. Adam and Eve were full of God's spirit. They were made in the image and likeness of God. Since we have fallen since then because of the nature of Adam, it's going to take those who are accepting Jesus Christ to go forward with him to have these fruit manifest in them that they may have God's righteousness within so that we can once again become the image of the Most High God. All right, so I want to move on. Let's go to Galatians 6. And we're going to talk about this gentleness. But while we're at Galatians 6, I want to uh, get an article prepared that I want us to read tonight and um, and get some understanding, okay? So let's go to Galatians 6, and let's begin at verse 1. Okay, thank you, Sarah. She told me there's some background noise, so hopefully that took care of it, that it's actually cut off. But anyway, um, can you still hear it, Sarah? If so, send me a message and... Uh, let me know if there's any background noise. I can actually see the messages on here. So this is Galatians 6. Let's look at verse 1. He says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, with, uh, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, uh, considering thyself, lest thou, lest thou also be tempted. So we must have an understanding here of what the Lord is trying to tell us that, you know, he's saying that if we have brethren that are overtaken in sin or those who might have backslidden and did things that are not of God, he says, or they've done things in full. He says, ye which are spiritual, that means those who are of Christ. He said, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest we also be tempted. 
So when it talks about meekness here, this spirit of meekness, he's also speaking about this gentleness that we are to gently restore brothers and sisters for what they have done. Now, Jesus has laid down in many ways how he told us to deal with brethren. He told us to deal with them in such a way where, you know, that if they sin, that we ought to confront them and tell them about their ways. If they go back to the things that they're doing, you know, then he tells them to bring elders and bring the church. And, and if people don't want to hear it, then, then he says to kick them out and then to leave them as a sinner or a publican. So God is very careful about getting rid of people. God wants us to all receive correction so that we can do God's will, okay? So that's just so important when it talks about restoring brethren. Look at verse two. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work and then shall he uh, have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. So that's important that we understand too when it talks about bearing one another and tolerating one another because we're all different individuals in the Lord. We all do things that we want. And, you know, we all are made in our own peculiar way. But there are times that brethren and sisters can really get on your nerves. And I mean, you know, we're human and I believe that's the fleshly side of us. But spiritually, if we deal in gentleness, we'll even have an understanding that it's not that that brother or sister was so different or I mean, or so bad that they were just different. They just needed understanding. They just needed time. So, you know, this is important that we understand this. All right. And then it says in verse uh, six, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. So you see, that's why we ought to have gentleness towards brothers and sisters, because it is guaranteed that if we do wrong to people or we deal with people in a very strong, unloving way, what can come our way is we will end up reaping that same reward. All right. So it's important that we learn to deal with people in a gentle manner. All right. Then it says in verse eight, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Now, this is also a battle that we go through throughout the day, when every day, you know, where the flesh is trying to wake you up to this physical carnal life and trying to get you to enjoy it. But what God wants us to understand is if we be partaker of the spiritual things and not the fleshly things of this world, then we have eternal life to look forward to. So you see, to obey God is to be of the spirit and to do things that will benefit us, not just in this life, but in the one to come. But if you follow the fleshly trail and you sow to the flesh and you do the things that are in the flesh, all you're going to do is go no further than this life. Okay, so it's important that we understand in order to walk with God, we better learn to be gentle to brethren and have these fruit of the spirit that we won't be judged in accordance to the works of the flesh, because all the flesh can bring forth in each and every one of us is death. Okay, so let's move on. All right. So from here, I want to read you guys an article.
that you're going to find interesting. Okay. All right. This is called, Are You Gentle Like Jesus? Okay, Are You Gentle Like Jesus? So let's look this up. All right. Sorry, guys, this thing is taking a little minute. But it says, um, I want to get right down to the point. Okay. So it says, a study of gentleness in the New Testament may begin in the Greek lexicon, looking up the word pros, that's P-A, I mean, that's P-R-A-U-S, and it means gentle, or produs, which is P-R-A-U-T-E-S, which is gentleness. Somewhat surprisingly, the classic lexicon defies pros or gentleness as not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. It is um, good definition. Okay, Sarah, thank you. So it is, it is good definition. Uh, it says, but to see what it, what it means, we need to examine Scripture's use of the term. Since the fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we begin in Galatians, though Paul simply lists the terms um, in uh, 5.23, he uses it again just four verses later. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, uh, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So that's Galatians 6 and 1. And then it says, I think I know what the problem is. I'm going to actually handle that now because we're getting some background noise. Okay, I believe that should do the trick. So then it says, um, you know, uh, being restored with the spirit of gentleness. So here's another article here where it says rough and gentle. It says, fortunately, Paul shows that he means what he means since he addresses transgressors several times in Galatians. In chapter one, he says that anyone preaching a gospel contrary to his is accursed. So that's... Um, Galatians 1, 8, and 9. This doesn't sound gentle to us, nor does he sound gentle when he says he opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned for withdrawing uh, from, uh, from Gentiles who didn't follow Jewish food laws. That's Galatians 2 and 11. Now, you know that there was a point where Peter himself was not acting in accordance with God he was actually showing racism, and Paul went to him to restore him to the truth that he may know it. So it says in Galatians 3, Paul calls his uh, readers bewitched, and he calls them fools. That is, um, and, and I, he didn't call them fools. He called them foolish. So I kind of disagree with this guy, but the point he's bringing up is that they were bewitched and they were following other laws. So he says there are tender moments in Galatians 4 12 through 20 and 5, 7 through 10, and in 1 Corinthians 4 and 21, and in 2 Timothy 2 and 25. But he sounds rough indeed in Galatians 5 and 11. Someone will object, not without merit, that Paul uh, advocates gentleness 
for those who get caught in sin. That's um, six and one that we just read. Whereas his foes were hardened, but it seems Peter got caught in sin in two and 12, and he got rough treatment too. So the point that he's bringing up here is that these guys were caught up, you know, when they were doing wrong, that he's trying to make the point here that just because it may seem a little rough to us today doesn't mean that it's gentleness. Gentleness is also shown by telling people the truth, okay, that they may do what needs to be done than to see the person condemned to hell while you're outwardly trying to show them gentleness. Sometimes gentleness has to go beyond what is that the truth will be known that people will be restored to wholeness. So this is gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is the next section. And it says Jesus's version of gentleness looks a lot like Paul's. First of all, Jesus commends gentleness in the Beatitudes. Now, you know that that's when the Lord tells us that, you know, the rich will receive their reward. The report will, will receive their reward. And it says those that are meek and humble will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed be the peacemakers. Blessed are those that follow and hunger after righteousness. So that's the Beatitudes. So it says that Jesus is showing his gentleness here. Then it says in the first three, he blesses the poor in spirit. Those who mourn and the meek, you know, um, that's gentleness again. Then it says these go together. The poor in spirit know their need of God's grace. When they take their poverty to God, he gives them his kingdom. Further, the poor in spirit mourn their spiritual poverty, their sinfulness. When they mourn their sin, they become meek and gentle. Uh, the poor in spirit, the mourners are gentle in this sense. Their awareness of their sin keeps them from asserting themselves and their rights. Now, this is very true. So you see, it's important that we tell people about their sin and things that are going on and that we be made aware of our sin, that we may walk in a more humble way before God and accepting of God's gentleness, knowing that we're wrong. If we would have been judged according to the law, then none of us will have that gentleness from God because you knew you died under the penalty of what sins that you committed or you were dealt with in such a way. But God comes with grace in order to give us gentleness that we may understand God and do the things that God says. So it says Jesus is called gentle in Matthew 21 and 5. And when we see that he arrives on a donkey rather than a war horse, he immediately starts uh, upending or, or, or uh, upending a uh, temple furniture. So you mean it means like throwing stuff around or whatever. And though he is called gentle, he doesn't sound gentle. He calls the scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, snakes, sons of hell, fools, whitewashed tombs and murderers, among other things. Okay, that's Matthew 23, 12 through 35, when he said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you know, and he told them what they were doing, but he was only telling them this, that they may repent of their filth and the things that they're a part of so that they can receive God's gentleness. He says, now notice how Jesus described himself, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for I am gentle, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
It says the reference to his yoke probably means his teaching, and, and it really means being led by God's spirit, is neither burdensome nor stringent. Uh, the very next passage shows Pharisees making legalistic demands, uh, the sort Jesus doesn't make. Okay, yet Jesus certainly asked, because of his disciples, he sends them into persecution, arrest, floggings, uh, then tells them to take their crosses and follow him. So Jesus is gentle, not because he makes no demands, but because he makes proper demands. He is meek because he gives us rest from bad laws and forgives us when we break good ones. Uh, but again, gentleness isn't quite what we assume. We assume it comes with high demands. Now, you know, I can understand where this guy's coming from because gentleness itself is a nature of God. But, you know, gentleness is to break down the lies that some people may be held back by, that they may receive God and receive his truth. So it says assertive, but not assertive. Okay, but not self-assertive. Here's another section. I promise, guys, we're going to jump right into this lesson and get things going. But he's speaking of this is called assertive but not self-assertive. Uh, one way to establish a word's meaning is to assess its antonym. For example, we know that to justify has a legal sense biblically in part because it is opposite of to condemn rather than to corrupt. That's uh, Romans 8, 33 and 34. In scripture, gentleness appears in virtue, list that contrast, with certain vices. To be gentle is the opposite of being bold, okay? And then it says, uh, or quarrelsome, or jealous and ambitious, okay? And then it says, uh, we see then that the gentle can be assertive, but they do not assert themselves. We can be strong and assertive, yet gentle, if we leverage power not to assert self but to promote the cause of God or, or, or the needy. And I would go as far as to say here, to show gentleness is to obey the spirit of God. That's why in many cases when we go and we preach the gospel and we talk to people about Christ, you know, the Holy Ghost may tell us to restore someone with gentleness. He may tell us to tread softly with this individual because perhaps this may be someone who's contemplating suicide or may not be in that place to hear a rough gospel. And then there may be times where the Lord will tell us, you know, to speak very direct to this person, to break down the strongholds, that they may know that they are a sinner and are in need of a savior. And then we can restore a person with gentleness. So this is all about obeying the spirit, not coming up with how we feel, but to do the things that God tells us. Okay, so he says, um, and then it says, but to promote the cause of God or the needy. Jesus was forceful, even confrontational, yet gentle because he used his power for others. The same holds for us. The question is not how strong we are, but how we use our strength. Now, this is true because God is all powerful and all, and all knowing, but we know that there isn't one fruit of the spirit that doesn't require the strength and the might and the power of the spirit to do. That's why the time is taken for God to grow these fruit in us 
organically that it becomes a part of your nature. This isn't willpower. This isn't trying to do something. This is becoming a part of the nature of God that we can actually stand in God's righteousness and do what he asked. So this is called, this is the next section, not a female trait. Since our Western culture hardly respects gentleness, we face headwinds uh, that make it necessary to actively pursue this virtue. This will appeal to some more than others. According to stereotypes, women are more gentle than men, but Paul makes no gentleness distinction between genders. Paul may not, but we must understand too that the Bible does address the effeminate type of man that will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I want to make that point clear. We're going to break down gentleness, but don't think for one minute that a, that a woman acting man is going to make it into the kingdom of heaven, all right? Because the Bible already says that it's not. So we're speaking of gentleness. We're not speaking of effeminate, okay? So let's just make that clear. So it says in the next uh, paragraph, we learn gentleness by observing how Jesus was gentle and then following him. If we try to notice gentle people, we may especially look for people like ourselves, just a little nicer. Instead, we just look for people who have a way of putting others first. Again, gentleness is not a matter of style. Um, dueling out uh, hugs and cupcakes or speaking softly, it's a character trait. So it applies equally uh, to hulking football players and little old ladies. Above all, it describes Jesus uh, and the way his spirit creates fruit by transforming us into his image. So that's actually beautiful to have some understanding because you don't understand gentleness unless you understand those things that are not gentle. For example, you can have a very strong and powerful man, one that is known around town that you do not mess with. But if you ever see him deal with his children or you see him you know, deal with his wife and he can be very gentle or even gentle to those that might be physically weaker than he is, that's a sign of strength, okay? So in order to understand gentleness, we've also got to understand what it is to be strong because a lot of people may consider gentleness, you know, um, or, or they consider weakness gentleness. Perhaps you may be dealing with a weak and tender person. Now, I'm not saying that makes them weak, but in order to understand gentleness, you first have to recognize where there is strength. Okay, so gentleness is always going to run alongside strength. It's just how we don't know what evil is unless we experience, or we don't know what goodness is unless we experience evil. So it's important that we get some understanding of these things. In order to truly understand strength, we've got to understand, or, or understand gentleness, we've got to understand strength. And see, and that's why when David made clear that you can be, you can have God's gentleness or you are made strong by God's gentleness. That's because David understands the gentleness of God. He understands the strength of God. So see, these two go hand in hand. So any of the fruit of the spirit that we may speak of, whether they're gentleness or goodness or love or, you know, peace, we must not understand. I mean, we must understand that these things are not weakness, but they are strengths. 
okay? Because anyone can act in the flesh and get agitated and don't want to be bothered. But for those who truly understand God's power, you are so grateful for his grace. You are so grateful for his gentleness. And I'm sure that even wives feel that way towards their husbands when they're, when they're strong men that are gentle towards them. And children understand that with their parents when their parents are gentle towards them, when they can be strong. Okay, so from here, let's move right in. And let's get into an example of gentleness or a few examples. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be there for a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm sorry, guys, if it's seeming, seeming kind of chopped up tonight. I wasn't feeling too well, but I'm actually, you know, looking to dig in. I thank the Lord that he's given us the strength to go this far. So, Lord, we're going to rely heavily on you tonight. All right. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And let's look at verse 1. And Paul says, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base toward among you, but being present and bold toward you. So Paul is addressing this letter or what we're about to read in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. So he says, uh, but I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with you or with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. So you see, Paul is making a very clear distinction here. Let's read that again. He says, but I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. So Paul doesn't want to be fleshly bold. Paul wants to be spiritually bold because the end of it all is going to be with gentleness and meekness, no matter how rough some of these words may sound. It's meekness and gentleness to want to see someone saved. So look at verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not earthly or worldly or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So what we see here is that we are at war in the spirit. And he's talking about pulling down strongholds and imaginations of everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. So what is he talking about here? He's speaking of gentleness. The very fact that we will choose to serve the living God and that we will go through whatever we have to go through to break down strongholds, to crucify this flesh, that every single thought we have will be brought under God's obedience. That is also a sign of allowing God's gentleness to work with us because Jesus made clear, if you fall on him, you'll be broken. But if he falls on you, that he will grind you to powder. So you see, Jesus exercises gentleness because he wants us to get in line with what he wants. That way he won't have to come looking for you. He won't have to send you to hell. He won't have to judge you or chastise you in a way 
that if you were obedient, that these things would be light upon us. So when we learn to bring every thought into the obedience of Christ, that will be God's gentleness being exercised on us because we recognize his strength and having fear of him, we yield to him that we can have his obedience in our lives. So he says in verse six, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So first he wants us to be humbled. He wants us to be meek. He wants us to be obedient. He wants us to be gentle to others. And when those fruit are grown, when that obedience is fulfilled, then he wants us to go out and to revenge all disobedience, okay? So only when our houses are clean that we can tell other people about their sin. So that's important that we have these fruit and we grow in. Look at verse seven. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trust to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. For though we should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord have given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. So Paul is saying that, you know, for the authority that God gave them, that they are apostles and they go out and they preach the gospel. He's saying that this authority is not given to lean on you, but only that it may bring edification. You see, boasting is a part of the flesh, but gentleness is a part of the spirit. Look at verse nine, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For his letters say, they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let us, um, and su let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. So, you know, he's talking about us being obedient to God, even when Paul is not around, even when you're not in church, even when, you know, spiritual leaders are not around you. Let us learn to be to walk in that obedience that we may serve God. So 12 says, for we dare to make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commended themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So this is why we tell Christians that and stop comparing yourself to people of the flesh or people of the world or people in church. Jesus Christ is the standard. If we start comparing our gentleness or our obedience to what we see other people doing, we're going to easily go off course. But if we stay in line that God is the overall authority, his spirit and his word, and we walk as the way Jesus walks, then that's wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding. But if we go according to our flesh, then we'll walk out boasting with such confidence that we will not have the spirit of gentleness. Look at verse 13. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. So Paul knows not to overstep his boundaries. And that's why you can even say some of God's angels were even gentle. When you look at Jude 1, and it talks about 
how Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he didn't take it upon himself to fight for the body of Moses. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay, so they all understand you can't go beyond a certain place with God, only the amount of authority that is given to you by God. So look at verse 14. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reach not unto you, for we are come as far as to you, also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things without our measure that is of other men's labors, but having hope when your, when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things uh, made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he uh, that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. So you see, we can't boast of ourselves. And that's why Jesus, when he showed gentleness, he said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. But it is the Father that honoreth me, whom you say that he is your God. So you see, when we walk in gentleness, we walk in God's strength because we know that we're not going to overstep our bounds. We're going to let God handle every single situation. Why? So that we can be led by his spirit and that his gentleness is, you know, his fruit. He bear, We bear forth his fruit of gentleness to reach others. Sorry about that, guys. So let's go to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's look at verse one. And I'm going to read another article to you guys. I think you guys are actually going to like this one. It's probably the one I should have gone to first. But you see, gentleness, there is so much strength in, but you can never have gentleness aside from truth. All of these fruit are backed by truth because Jesus Christ is the truth. Okay, some people find a gentleness to lie to people. Some people would think that Joe Osteen is gentle. But when you really examine this guy and you look at the way that he is and the lies that he tells and the money that he takes and not even cares if he condemns people to hell, how can he be gentle? You see, so God's gentleness and man's gentleness are two different things because what we must learn to do is follow after Christ. Just because someone sounds nice or sounds soft-spoken in speech does not mean that that person is a gentle individual. That person can be self-serving. That person can be, you know, greedy or even fearful for that matter. So gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. It's not something that can outwardly perform. Let's understand that. All right. Okay, so this one is called the strength of gentleness. Let's look at this, guys. This is the strength of gentleness, and it says, imagine being able to watch the Apostle Paul in action. How did he treat people, especially those who often failed? Paul gives us a glimpse of how he treated others. We are gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. Gentleness is a strong hand with a soft touch. It is a tender, compassionate approach towards others. Okay, you know, it's a, a, it's a gentle, uh, passionate approach towards others. Weaknesses and limitations 
A gentle person still speaks truth, sometimes even painful truth, but in doing so, guards his tone so the truth can be well received. So there's nothing wrong with watching with how you say things, you know, that other people may get it. But I realize when people are not after the truth, you know, and you tell them the truth, no matter how light you may tell them or otherwise, you know, if they don't want to hear it, they'll consider what you're saying rude regardless. And that's why we need the spirit of God to tell us what approach to take. All right. So it says Puritan leader Jonathan Edwards called gentleness the Christian spirit. Edwards says, all who are truly godly and are real disciples of Christ have a gentle spirit in them. Now, this is true. The Bible goes out uh, of its way to demonstrate Jesus's gentleness. In fact, the Old Testament depicts the Messiah as unusually gentle, telling us that Jesus would not break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. That's Isaiah 42 and 3. In the Gospels, Jesus affirmed his gentleness. I am gentle and humble in heart. And the apostles often reminded the early church of Jesus's gentleness by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I appeal to you. Now, you know that we just read that. But, you know, you know that gentleness is a part of a Christian's life because Jesus tells them in Matthew 10, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So God wants us to have gentleness even when, you know, we can present the gospel, which to a lot of people can be, you know, very offensive. So it says here, unfortunately, too many people equate gentle with weak. Unless you would call the heroic Apostle Paul, the fiery uh, Puritan Jonathan Edwards, and the almighty Christ weak individuals, it is clearly a misunderstanding to assume weakness has anything to do with gentleness. Now, this is true. In fact, the reverse is true. Uh, when my daughter was young, she used, she used to love to squeeze my hand as hard as she could, trying to make it hurt. She could squeeze with all of her might, but it never hurt. Uh, she didn't need to be gentle because she lacked the power to cause me any pain. Now, you see, this is why I said you truly don't understand gentleness unless you have an understanding of strength. So it says, then just for fun, I'd give her hand a tight little squeeze until she yelped. It's the strong hand, not the weak one, that must learn to be gentle. Man, that's a beautiful point. So here's the key points and what this guy, Gary Thomas, said. He said, gentleness is a strong hand with a soft touch. We know this is true. A gentle person speaks the truth in a way others can receive. And then it says, true followers of Christ are distinguished by gentleness. Hey, that's all right with me because everything that, that Gary Thomas said can be backed by scripture, okay? So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 2 and let's look at verse 1. First Thessalonians 2, and let's begin at verse 1. 
He says, for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it is not in vain. But even after that, uh, we have suffered before and were shamefully entreated. As ye know, at Philippi, uh, we were bold in our God, in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So you see, they came to bring the truth to these people in uh, to the Thessalonians, and there was contention all around them. So you see, you've got to keep your poise with Christ. Look at verse three. For our exhortation was not in deceit, nor in nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, like treachery or you know trickery. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. So we must understand with everything that we present and we go and we speak to people about, we must know that God is always watching. God even judges the heart. A lot of us may try to appear to be meek and gentle and humble, but God can tell that you want a little bit of glory for yourself. So we must understand that if we're going to do these things, it's got to be in purity of heart. Look at verse five. Neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. So again, there's two other things that can appear like they're gentle, but they're not very gentle at all. And one is flattering words. Like I said, you've got a lot of false prophets today that make lots of money off of the masses because they're using their outward appearance and their words of God to get people to like them. Or covetousness, you tell people like Creflo Dollar does, well, you'll get, you know, tenfold if you give to God, you know? So why ain't Creflo Dollar giving back to the people so that he can be blessed? You see, a covetous mind has the money flowing upstream, but it is not gentle towards the brethren. Though both of those men that I just named will speak gentle, but you see, their overall goal is to slit your throat by taking what they can from you and damning you to hell by believing that those lies that they tell are the gospel. OK, so he says in verse six, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. So, you know, Paul is truly showing gentleness here because he wants us to get an understanding that though we may preach the gospel, that we don't glory in self. When people compliment you, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just saying that, but truly knowing that it's Jesus is why we can teach as we teach. It's Jesus that gives us the breath in our lungs. It's Jesus that saw us while we were yet sinners. But instead of moving on us with his righteous indignation to destroy us, he gave us gentleness that we may grow to the place of knowing him and proclaiming him and glorifying him. So that's what this is about. Look at verse seven. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse, a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because ye were dear unto us. So that's why when we try and use all these things and we speak of love and we want to leave out truth or we even think about preaching false gospel in order to get people to like us, 
That's not gentleness in the least, because if someone is dear to you, then you're looking at not just their soul, you know, but their eternal soul. You're not just looking at, you know, how they might be living in sin in the here and now, but what will be the result of that sin if they continue? So true gentleness is never void of truth. So a lot of people got to stop looking at gentleness as just speaking soft. This is about loving someone to the place of rightfully restoring them, rightfully preaching the gospel, caring for them enough to break through all those lies that they may receive the truth that they may desire the living God. That's what this whole thing is about. Let's look at verse nine. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, uh, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe as we know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God who have called you unto his kingdom and glory. So again, even for a minister, because we're going to get into that tonight and we're going to actually talk about this, but even for a minister or a pastor that God has given authority to preach and teach the gospel, you look at the flock, even if they are older brethren and sisters, as almost children before the Lord. Even if they're too old to be a child of yours, you can still look at them as that's a child of God. So when you deal with people, you're going to deal with them in a righteous way, in a goodly way, in a gentle way, because after all, you're just an extension of the good shepherd to be a servant to feed the flock. That's what this whole thing is about. And I don't see a way that you can even be a pastor or a minister without gentleness because you're going to step on people's toes. You're going to hurt people with the truth of the gospel. So being able to have God's spirit to rightfully restore someone to the place of growth as Christ did you, that is true gentleness. Because, you know, many days you're going to get on their nerves. You're going to be called names by them. They're going to think that they know more than you. They're going to walk off in pride sometimes, but you know what? That gentleness of God and understanding where they are, you can make the correction without even hurting them. Why? Because you know that they don't know. You know what God is telling you to do and how to behave with others, and that is the way that we are to trade in the righteousness and the goodness and the gentleness of Christ. So he says in verse 13, for this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus, for ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, 
to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoring or endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. So you see what Paul is saying here that when you go to try and restore and to do the righteousness of God, now you got some people that you might attend a family gathering or one at work. And the Lord may tell you, because you're the only believer there, find a way to inject the gospel that people may have eternal life. Now, if you've got your boss there, or you've got your wife there, or you've got friends there, or even family members that tell you, hey, this is not a good time to preach the gospel. You need to leave that stuff at home. That's Satan hindering you. That's evil. I don't care how they try and dress it up. This person has been through a lot. They don't need to hear this. Or, you know, I find it quite rude of you to intrude on people's fun to preach the gospel. No matter how they try and bring it up, they are that is evil to try and present people from hearing about the gospel of Christ. And that's why Christians, we better make sure we know what side we're on. Are we working for what God wants? Or are we hindering what God wants? Because Paul says here, as they tried to restore the brethren and love and preach the gospel and show gentleness, that there were those that were among them that were trying to stop them from preaching to the Gentiles. And he made it clear who was behind it all. Satan hindered them from moving forward and doing what God says. So you see, gentleness may have to rain on your parade, but it's only because you can, um, that God can give us what we need to be restored. You know, gentleness isn't always going to feel the best, but that is all a part of following God. So let's go to James chapter three. James chapter three, and let's look at verse one. guys. This is James 3. Let's look at verse 1. He says, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and, and, able, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm. Whithersoever the, whithersoever the governor listeth, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. So what he's also trying to tell us here is, James is, is that we got to be careful what comes out of our mouths. Jesus said that every idle word will be brought into judgment. There were many times, even in my teaching, that I might have felt a move of the spirit. And I spoke boldly 
and the spirit commended me for it. The spirit told me to do it and God's will was done. But then there were other times I can feel moved by what I'm saying that I must make careful that pride is not in the midst there, that I may speak openly and freely and unruly, that I may hurt a person, okay? Because the whole thing is if we're going to be gentle or have the spirit of gentleness, then we need to know how to bridle the tongue and to have it governed by God, that God's will can be done. So he says a little fire, you know, a great matter, a little fire can live. People can fall asleep on the couch and all of a sudden you can have just a little spark that can burn down the whole neighborhood, okay? So we must be very careful, even with the tongue, even in, the, even in some of the most careful matters or, or the quietest situations, we must be careful that our tongues are led by God's spirit and not by our own flesh. Look at verse six. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So it is the tongue among our members that is defiled. I mean, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things of the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil and full of deadly poison. Is it not? Many times we can think that we're here to help a friend because we might have heard something negative said about your friend. So you think you want to go and tell them trying to be kind and loving about what happened and it can spark up a bigger fire. So, you know, we've got to be careful in the spirit of gentleness that, you know, is this, even though this person is my friend, is this something that I should share? Will it help the situation or will it bring more drama? These are things that we must be made aware of if we're going to walk with God. So he says in verse nine, therewith bless we God even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So you see, God is supposed to bridle our tongues and speak through us because he's using the example here that out of one mouth can come blessing and cursing. Okay, so this is not what God wants for us. Look at verse 11. Doth a fountain send forth at the at the same place sweet water and bitter? So if you know you can't go to one fountain and get sweet water and bitter, then we've got to be organically grown in the spirit of God that what proceeds forth out of our mouths will be of the spirit and not of our flesh. Okay, because the flesh doesn't know how to be gentle. Usually when you see when you see the flesh showing gentleness. It's in the spirit of a self-serving nature. It's just how you can have politicians on TV where they go and act like they're feeding the homeless or doing whatever because they want to be outwardly seen. So that's not gentleness. That's for their own glory. So God wants us to be organically grown that we do God's righteousness and show gentleness by nature, not by the benefit of trying to be seen or, you know, our own glory. Look at verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of a vine of figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. So verse 13 gives us a nice little understanding of what God wants. And it says, 
who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? So who understands God and his word and understands the righteousness of, of um, you know, following God's instruction? Then he says, let him shoo out of a good conversation. That's a good lifestyle. And with our words, it says his works with meekness of wisdom. So it says, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. So if you've got these things in your heart, don't speak against the truth that is of God. You know, you better go pray somewhere and deal with that because those are works of the flesh, not of the spirit. Verse 15 says, this wisdom descendeth, it comes down, not from above, it's not from God, but is earthly, sensual, and lastly, devilish, which you can say is demonic. So you see, any time people are out seeking their own glory, or people are being nice for their own motives, okay, or you can bless in one case and curse with the next, that's not a fruit of gentleness. You may show gentleness with some things that you say, but if it's not of your nature, it's only a matter of time before you go back to what you're into, okay? So gentleness, as we spoke about, is a fruit of the spirit, and it's a partaker of your nature. This is why you can get people in church saying, amen, brother, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus, and walk right out in the parking lot and get right back to their cursing and their worldly talk. Why? Because it's not of the nature, it's just an outward performance. So he says, for those who are who have bitter envying and strife in their hearts and glory not and lie not against the truth, he tells them to lie not against the truth. He says it's earthly, meaning it's a part, it's not spiritual. And then he says it's sensual. So it's a part of how you feel. You know, your five senses are what picked this thing up. It's what you would call the natural man, not the spiritual man of God. And then he says, what comes last is devilish. So it first begins in earthly nature, unsaved nature. Then it becomes sensual. It, it allures you through your, um, through your five senses. And then last, what you pick up is demonic oppression. Okay, because all the worldly things can do is lead you unto demons. That's why he says in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh that are manifest are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, you know, wrath, strife, seditions, because those things are manifestations of the flesh. So they lead you in first the earthly place where you think of earthly things. And, you know, then as the sensual realm, you're led by your feelings. And then there is the demonic. So that's not what we want if we're going to be a part of God's fruitfulness and his nature. So it says in 16, um, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But he says in 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. So it comes right out of the right heart or the right motives of God, okay? Because it's of the nature of God. Then it's peaceable. You see that fruit we talked about the other night? And it's gentle, which is what we just, we're talking about tonight. And easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, 
without partiality and without hypocrisy. So we've got to practice what we preach if we're going to be gentle in God. If we're going to be a partaker of any of these fruit, we've got to be true and authentic, allowing the Spirit of God to transform us, remove things from us, and to do His will. That is the only way that we're going to walk this out. So you see, those that are of the right nature of God, they're going to have the peace. They're going to have gentleness. There will be no confusion. And it will be without partiality, like favoring those that you like the best, or without hypocrisy, okay? So that is the nature of God. All right, so let's go to Titus chapter 3, and let's look at verse 1. We're going to even find what the qualifications are for being a pastor. And you're going to see the very same fruit stick up with gentleness right there in the middle of it. And guys, remind me to never do study so late because, man, you know, you feel like you fight with some things, including your own rest. So let's go to uh, yeah, Titus chapter three, I believe I'm at. Yeah. And let's look at verse one. All right. Titus three and one. And it says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work to speak no evil of man, to be no brawlers, okay? So you see, if you're going to be a minister, and these, these are things the Lord had to work well, work out with me in my life, that I was really a, um, a brawler, you know? And when I came to the Lord, he was trying to teach me every day to remove that from me. Why? Because if someone harms you, and you're not as a dove, but you're as a wolf fighting for your own claim, then what you're most concerned about is you and your well-being, your reputation. They insulted me. So you see, a part of gentleness is to be able to see the faults of others, but to righteously and gently restore them. All right. But if I'm worried about them calling me names for the gospel's sake, I can't be gentle. I'm going to do what it takes to defend myself. So a, a, a bishop cannot be a brawler. He can't speak evil of another man. That means his tongue is bridled. And it says, but he is gentle, shewing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, and deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness or gentleness, those words are about the same, and love of God, our Savior, towards men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So as you can see, there are no works that we can possibly do of ourselves in order to show this gentleness or these fruit of the Spirit. We've got to have Jesus work in us. That's what David meant in Psalm 18 when he mentioned being restored or thanks to God's gentleness, he has made great. What he mean by great there, he meant perfect. We can only reach our full stature in God to be what God wants us to be by his mercy, by his grace. Aside from God's gentleness, you and I can't grow. If he were to judge us for every wrong thing that we did and not having God's grace, 
will never mature because we will be cut down while we're still young and ignorant and evil, okay? And we'll never know what God is. So you see, it's gentleness of God to introduce himself to us, to come to us, to show us who he is that we may choose him. But what if God ever decided to lean on us? He would grind us to powder. So let us ever be grateful for the gentleness of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to go to John 8 real quick. Let's look at that. John chapter 8. All right. Let's go to John 8. And let's begin at verse 1. All right, this is John 8 and 1. It says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees, these guys are always around, brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. So you guys understand here what we were just talking about, about those who are of God being of a pure heart, you know, in things and righteousness. Look at how here these people brought forth the law as they were righteous men, as they were trying to do the right thing, but they only did it to tempt Jesus to see how he would react. So it's also very possible here that this woman was set up because, you know, it happened in the middle of the night. Who's going to creep in somebody's window and see what they're doing? If they could go as far as to tempt Jesus by trying to appear righteous, it's very possible that they lured this woman into adultery that they might accuse her. But you see, this is that partiality and hypocrisy that, that James was talking about and that Jesus is addressing here. So they looked like they were righteous, but they weren't righteous. It says, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So you see the gentleness of Jesus. He could have been well within this right to react as they did, but he's just writing as if he never even heard them. Look at verse seven. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus uh, uh, had lifted up himself and saw none um, but the woman. And he said unto her, woman, where art thou? Where are, where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee? And she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So as you can see, that was an act of gentleness of Jesus by, for one, showing the partiality and the hypocrisy to let this woman know, woman, you're not the only sinner in town, okay? All these people sin and do all sorts of things. 
So when they were convicted by their own conscience, these men walked out. And Jesus, because he has the fruit of the spirit within, Jesus is authentic. He was able to righteously judge this situation and to let this woman know, you know what, go. But he didn't just tell her, go and be merry and be happy. You see, his gentleness never evaded the truth. He said, go and sin no more. Okay, so that was his way of letting them know that he was righteous, but he was gently restoring this woman to the place of redemption that she may have a second chance where the Lord would have judged her without mercy. So that's something that we must understand concerning gentleness. It's a beautiful thing. It's an act of God. You can't be a minister and not have gentleness because you're going to jump all over people and show your authority. Gentleness helps everyone get to the place of restoration, just like Jesus did. All right, so I want to move forward. Let's go to Matthew 11, and let's look at verse 25. Matthew 11 and 25. We're not going to go too long tonight because it's getting kind of late. But I want to go there. Gentleness is a strength. It's not a weakness. Matthew 11, and let's look at verse 25. And it says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and has revealed them unto babes. So, you know, Jesus is thanking God that he was able to, you know, that the righteousness was able to be given to babes, those who would receive, those who would be willing to receive God's gentleness and not like the scribes and Pharisees who were so proud and self-righteous he couldn't work with them. So he says, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son, but the Father neither knoweth any man. The Father saved the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So this is God's wish, is that we all get saved and we all follow Jesus Christ, verse 28, come unto me, all ye that are, he- that are that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is so different from religion. You can see his gentleness playing out here. He says, for those that labor and are heavy laden, I'm going to give you rest. You know what some churches and religion will do to you? They will give you more work because they see that you are someone fit for the job but that's not the God we serve. Any labors or things that God puts us to, he means for us to have our rest in him that he may do the work through us. So as you can see, gentleness is a fruit of the spirit that must be organically grown that we can do the righteous works of Christ. Look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly of heart. You see the gentleness of Jesus? He's not going to put more on you than you can bear, unlike some religious settings or man himself. So he says, and he says, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you see, if we rest in Jesus, It'll be easy for us to do what he wants, 
because after all, it won't be us doing the work. It will be the Holy Ghost, which is Christ in you, to get the job done. So let us keep this in mind. He doesn't want to throw heavy burdens on us. Let's go to Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. We're about to close. Just want to throw a few scriptures out there. All right, Proverbs 15. And let's look at look at uh, verse 1. It says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but a wrath, but a grievous, but grievous words stir up anger. So as you can see, gentleness also has its place. If you read in Romans 12 and it talks about if we love our enemies and we do the things that God says, although people despitefully use us, if we pray for them or do right towards them, that we can heap coals of fire upon their heads. That is like, you know, not trying to make people feel guilty, but a lot of times people react in anger because they want you to react that way or they're used to dealing people with people that way. But I realize if you come like the Bible says with a soft answer, you turn away wrath. How many times have you worked with somebody or known someone where you and this person don't like each other and are angry with one another? And if that person or if one of you were to lower themselves and say, hey, um, are you doing okay? As mad as you might be with that person, there's a part of you that will end up saying, no, man, I'm all right. Um, how are you? So you see, when you show the love of Christ and you have that wrath taken away by showing kindness to a person, that you can heap coals of fire upon that person's head, that they may change their perspective and want to be quiet with you. I learned this with dealing with kids in the education system. There are times you can tell them something or you might be displeased with something that they're doing and they'll begin to yell at you. And if you yell back, you guys will just get into a shouting match. But if you lower your voice and you say, you know, why are you yelling at me? I'm not yelling at you. Why are you cursing at me? I'm not cursing at you. They will begin to lower their voices, okay? Because they recognize, yeah, you're not yelling at me. But also, you know, I love the gentleness that I get to have with many of these children because some of them, you know, they can annoy you and do things to you, but they lean on your shoulder sometimes and they want you to play with them sometimes. They try and put you in chokehold sometimes because they want you to be gentle towards them. And I realize when you show gentleness, those kids appreciate that. And we're going to even talk about how husbands are that way, even to their wives. And that's the sort of thing that God wants. So I want to go to Proverbs 25 and let's look at verse 15. The gentleness is a beautiful thing. Okay, so he says in verse 15, or let's look at verse 14, Proverbs 25 and 14. Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds of winds without rain. By long forbearing is a prince persuaded and a soft tongue breaketh the bones. And that's what we've talked about. A lot of these kids and people that we deal with, a lot of people are hurt. A lot of people are trodden down and defeated. But I realize that if you come to them and you show that you care for them, and this is not a tactic, this has got to be organically grown. But if you come to a person in gentleness, 
most likely you're going to get gentleness back. Now, when you preach the gospel, of course, you can expect anything to come forward. But I think that a lot of people are, are really even misunderstanding the gospel. They think that you're meddling in their business. They think that you are showing aggressive towards them and you're beating them down with the Bible. But if you make it clear to them that you've got their best interest at heart, a lot of people will change their ways and their motives and their thoughts and their actions, and they will begin to cherish what and, and you know want to listen more than what you would consider you know, just Bible thumping, okay? I'm not saying don't tell the truth because I'm someone that will tell people up front what I feel and what's going on. But there are ways to do things that these words can be received. Why? So that these people may come in. It's not personal. It's just that God will get the glory. All right, so I want to go to, uh, let's go to Ephesians 4 real quick. Ephesians chapter 4. And let's begin at verse 1. Oh, I'm just trying to give people an understanding of gentleness. I thought that I was a strong individual until the Lord put me in a place where I had to exercise gentleness. You find out there's so much strength in that, not to be easily angered. You know, even though the person you want to wring their necks, but, you know, it's just a piece of you that's, it's all right. We all need it. We all need God's gentleness, and we need to be gentle to others. This is Ephesians 4, and you look at verse 1. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering for bearing one another in love. So as you can see, there are quite a few fruit of the spirit here when it talks about walking worthy of the vocation. What is that? The assignment that God has given you that you were called. Whether you're an evangelist, whether you are a pastor, a teacher, or whomever, it tells us to walk in lowliness and meekness. Why? Because you're coming with the gospel that people might receive it. A lot of people, if they don't understand the ways of God, they might be beast-like in nature. They may be rude. They're so used to the world. But we've got to be lowly to the place of, as Jesus became that foundation for us, we've got to lower ourselves that other people can get it. And look at what he just says, lowliness and meekness with long suffering, forbearing, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So this doesn't mean lie, you know, this is more like letting people know, okay, you know what, this isn't worth arguing over for peace sake. Let us pray about it and let the Lord be the judge. Or, hey, brother, I'll show you where I'm wrong, but where you're wrong, but we're not going to contend over this. It's just not worth it. Why? So that we can keep the spirit. That doesn't mean side with evil or unrighteousness, but there are ways and means to do things that pride will not be in the midst. Okay, so let's understand that. So he says, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace 
according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So you see how we're all given grace unto the measure of the gift of Christ. What is that? That's gentleness. Now, God may tell me something that I should know better. And if I were to go beyond or sin or do something, God's punishment on me may be more stiff than it would be for someone who's, who's a young babe in Christ or ignorant to the gospel. You see, so this is why God gives us grace according to that measure, you know, that of how much we know and how much we don't. He's growing with each one of us. I'm sure you don't give cactuses the same amount of water that you would give a rose, okay? There are things that have to be nurtured and cared for differently because our God the Father is the husbandman, Jesus is the vine. So we must understand that God knows each one of us. We're all not the same trees as we are all not the same flowers. Each one takes different nurturing and care because God knows every single one of us as he made us. And he knows what you've been through and he knows what you're gonna go through. So it's up to God how he deals with us according to his gentleness and the measure of faith. All right. And it says, um, look at verse eight. Wherefore he saith, when he ascendeth up on high, he led captivity captive and gave good and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascendeth, um, what is it but that he also descendeth first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descendeth is the same above that ascendeth up far above the heavens that he might fill all things. He that gave some, I mean, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints to do the work of the ministry to edify the body of Christ. So what we look at here is, is still something interesting where Jesus didn't first ascend, Jesus descended, he died, he was buried, he resurrected. And because of that, God highly exalted him and set him on the right hand of majesty on high. So you see, that's a part of gentleness. That's a part of lowliness. It's even gentle in Jesus to come as the lamb of God that took away the sin of the whole world. When he comes back, he's not going to be so gentle. He will return, as the Bible says in Revelation 5, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's going to come back to judge all unrighteousness. So you see, understanding the gentleness of Jesus and the grace given to us will help us to appreciate salvation and sanctification because when he comes back, we will all be without excuse. While Jesus was on that cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yes, that was love, but that was also gentleness because Jesus made clear too that he could have sent 10 legions or 12 legions of angels to come and destroy this earth to avenge him. That is the love and the gentleness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 13, and why does Jesus do this? To edify the body till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
So it's just like any parent that, you know, raises their children. You're going to have those good little innocent years with the baby. And then they're going to get to the terrible twos. Then they're going to start school. Then you're going to deal with the juvenile period and the teenage years. And, you know, they're going to say things at times. They're not going to obey you. They're going to look like they're in the worst possible situation ever. But God, with his love and his gentleness and his grace and understanding, will help us all get to the place of maturing, finding him, being responsible adults in life, going and get a job, knowing how to clean up after ourselves, being taken care of, just how parents would deal with their children. This is the love and mercy of God, but we can't get there without God's gentleness. So it says, why does he want us to be full of the stature of Christ? Look at verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children. That means he wants us to be mature, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So as you know how trees deal with a lot of winds and things that may come, you know, the tree may blow around when it's young and weak, but when the tree reaches full maturity, you know, when it's grown up, there's nothing that's going to knock that tree over shorter than an earthquake. There's stories of 18 wheelers running into trees an 18-wheeler would be, you know, smashed up all in the front, and that tree will be right there. So, you know, when God builds a thing, he wants us to all reach that maturity that we not get knocked over by trials and things in life, but we can't get there aside from gentleness. Look at 15, but speaking the truth in love, you see that? Uh, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted that uh, that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I just think it's even amazing how, you know, God's gentleness even made Adam, how Jesus was the creator of all that is, and he handcrafted Adam and put him together. You know, what mighty hands can do such a work that we become that work of art, made as the image of the living God? And how he died on the cross, his gentleness being shown, even unto sinners, that we may be the image of the living God. Look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that we henceforth walk, not as the Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their minds. You know, a lot of people believe that might is right. My way or the highway. I want to be righteous by my standards. I show my measure of love the way that I see it. That's the way that the Gentiles walk. Now, we're not talking Jews and Gentiles here. We're talking of those who don't know Christ, those who are unbelievers. They walk in the vanity of their minds having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. And that's one thing the Lord, not the Lord, the world will do is blind your heart from understanding God's gentleness. It'll make you think, you know, I'm a humanist. I'm strong. I'm powerful. I'm all knowing. You want to create God in your image when you don't understand the gentleness of God.
Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness, that is desiring that which is or lustful desires, uh, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So notice it says back in 20 that those people who act on their own, they haven't learned of Christ. Then it says, if so be that ye have heard him. So if you've been exposed to God and who he is and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus, then you will put off the former conversation, the former lifestyle of the sinner and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man, which, it, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So you see, understanding God will allow you to walk in holiness and righteousness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth to his neighbor, I mean, with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, uh, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good in the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So as you can see, this is all about the gentleness of God. Some people will say, I quote Bible, so everything I'm saying is right. It must be done in the right spirit. And God pushes gentleness that we may understand God's nature because he could have judged us at any time, but he gave us a chance to get to know him that we may walk with him. Look at verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You see the gentleness he wants us to have? And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So you see, gentleness is only a display of how God treats us, but it must be sincere gentleness that we don't walk in our own vanity. So let's go to Philippians 4. Two more scriptures, guys, and we're going to be done with this. So I want to go to Philippians 4. Let's look at verse 1 right next door. All right. And he said, we'll begin at verse 1. He says, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudeus and uh, beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other fellow laborers uh, whose names are in the book of life, rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So what is he talking about? 
showing gentleness to the brethren, as he talked about in Ephesians, that they all reach their full stature. Let your moderation, that word for moderation can also be used as gentleness, be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. So there's gentleness in preaching the gospel and warning people of the things that they need to know. Verse six, be careful for nothing, but in everything uh, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue or if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which um, ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you. So you see how this, this gentleness that God gives us helps us to think on the things of God. It helps us to be thankful of God and his goodness. And gentleness is truly a fruit of the spirit. In your spare time, because I'm trying to uh, think about this, but there's 1 Peter chapter three, where it made clear that, um, uh, Sarah called Abraham Lord. I know a lot of feminists won't want to hear that, but the reason she called him Lord is because she considered him or she loved um, Abraham like, like you know, she treated Abraham like uh, God treats us. A woman is supposed to reverence her husband the way that God, the way that we reverence God. Okay, why? Because that is God's divine order. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. So everything must go in divine order with the Lord. So when a woman looks upon her husband and sees him as the stronger, it even tells us in First uh, Peter chapter 3 that a man should give honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. You don't give honor to weaker things in the flesh but you will give honor to the weaker vessel in the spirit. By recognizing, I want to tell those men out there that think it's okay to beat women and do things like this. You must understand that even if your wife has a lot of mouth and she says things, you know, to be honest with you, that's all she has. That's her only defense. Why not be the bigger and the stronger and the wiser of the two to understand that she is the weaker vessel. She was made as the help me of Adam, you know, to service Adam. Okay. So men stop taking that stuff personal. Stop jumping up in their face, wanting to knock them out or argue for every little case. You don't have to do that. If you truly are strong, if you are strong, you can show gentleness that that woman may have more respect for you. That woman knows that she can't beat you. She's only running in her mouth and, you know, may not like some of the things that you said, but you should be a man of God, man enough to say, you know what, babe, let's talk about this. What's going on? Why? Because, you know, you know that you're the stronger of the two. And I'm not pushing, uh, what do they call that word? Uh, chauvinism. I'm trying to make people understand that if you really got power, you don't have to show it. A man's strength is in his gentleness. 
Okay, so let's understand that. So what we're going to close out with tonight is Colossians 3, and let's look at verse 1, since they're all side by side, and we're going to close out from here. Colossians 3 and verse 1, and it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So he says, um, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So you see, if we, if our lives are hidden in Christ, there is a type of gentleness there and letting God be your strength and showing all humility, which we're going to talk about next, which is a fruit of the spirit. But then he tells them also that to mortify your members. So we should be walking in the spirit. We should be fasting and praying that we can, and carrying our cross, that we can mortify our members. Our mouths can be guided by God our hands, our feet. These things need to be governed by God, okay? And then it says, for which things sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So you see, unless we allow God to be gentle with us in obedience, his wrath will be poured out on the children of disobedience. So let's learn to be gentle so that in obedience that God can be gentle with us. Look at verse seven in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. So you see, these are works of the flesh. We put on these, we take up Christ. We have, you know, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faith. So we're putting off the old things and we're, allow, we're allowing God to restore us, you know, with his spirit. So, you know, we have to watch how we speak. We can't just, we can't blaspheme, okay? Because one of the things of blasphemy is uh, speaking against the Holy Ghost or blaspheming the Holy Ghost. That is the one sin that is unpardonable in this Bible. So we better be real careful talking about the Lord told me we better let God's gentleness work with us unless we know for sure, all right? So filthy communication can show people that we're not true Christians. We don't have that mark of gentleness and we will be looked at as the world is looked at. That's why a lot of people don't even wanna to go to church today. A lot of people think most church people are hypocrites. So you see that wrath, malice and all that? That doesn't play in in the fruit of gentleness. We will have these works of the flesh, if we won't allow God to grow gentleness within us. He says, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Um, so it says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. So the only way we're going to have God, you know, keep us from being partial and stop looking at race 
and stop looking at gender and stop looking at all these things is if we allow God to grow those peaceable fruit, mainly what we're talking about tonight is gentleness. When you can see that that's a brother in the Lord and not looking at his white or black or yellow or red skin, then you can really move on and do the things of the spirit. Outside of that, we may have gentleness, but it will be gentleness towards those we love and not gentleness even to our enemies, which is a commandment of God. So when it talks about Christ being all in all, whether they're barbarian or Scythian, whether they're bond or free, whether they're Greek or Jew, we ought to be the same as Christ is in us. Look at verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God. So he's now speaking to the elect of God. Look at what he wants. Holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. These are the fruit for bearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So you see, if you want God's mercy and you want God's gentleness, be kind and gentle towards your brethren, because what you sow, you will reap. So he says in verse 14, and above all these, put on charity. That's love that we talked about two nights ago, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God, which we talked about a few nights ago, rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, why would you sing with grace in your heart towards the Lord? because you understand what grace is. You understand God's gentleness. You understand that aside from the work that Jesus Christ had done, you and I right now should be swimming in the lake of fire. So to understand God's gentleness and grace makes you thankful. And you can sing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with melody in your heart towards the Lord. So he says in verse 17, and whatsoever ye do in word or deeds, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and to the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. So what is the woman showing to her husband? Gentleness. That's why the Bible talks about wives having a meek and quiet spirit in the churches. Why? Because a woman's um, beauty is in her gentleness and meekness. That is the makeup of a woman. Anytime you want to be a hardcore dyke lesbian and you want to fight men for power and control and strength, that's not of the nature of a woman and that's not pleasing to God. Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. What is he commanding the husbands to give or to have? gentleness towards the wife. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. What is he teaching the children? Obedience. Why? So that they may have the gentleness of God and their parents. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. 
What is he teaching the fathers? Gentleness. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. What is he teaching employees that have employers? Gentleness, okay? To be grateful. Why? Because they should have fear of the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So you see, when we exercise these gentleness in every part of life, in every walk, in every relationship, we have God's um, inheritance to serve Jesus Christ. If we serve Christ, we'll have his inheritance. Verse 25, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So you see, there's no respect of persons with God. That's why we must learn to have gentleness. Gentleness to men is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. And that's why God made us stronger, that we may honor the weaker vessel. For women, gentleness is a sign of her grace and beauty in God's eyes, because he meant for the woman to be elegant. And then, you know, for children, you know, God gives us gentleness as parents that we may govern our children right and understand God better. So hopefully tonight we've got some understanding about the fruit of gentleness, how it touches every part, even in teaching. You can't touch this word and teach others if you don't have a spirit or the fruit of gentleness. You cannot be a parent to your children if you don't have the fruit of gentleness. You cannot be, or at least a righteous parent, you cannot be a true husband or wife, uh, a husband to your wife or wife to your husband without the fruit of gentleness. So let us exercise it because it truly is the strength, beauty, and obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was gentle unto us, unto us and loved us while we were yet sinners. So that's going to be the lesson for tonight. Tonight, I'm uh, Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. You know, I'm not going to do teachings this late anymore because I'm recognizing that I must have my mind engaged with the desires of God. And when you're tired or sick or not feeling too well, it actually does keep you from doing what God says. So I thank the Lord for the strength to be able to do this. Hopefully people have got some understanding. And um, I want to uh, say a quick prayer before we go out. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us understanding of your gentleness and how we are to be to one another, how husbands and wives should submit themselves before you, and how children ought to be in subjection unto their parents how pastors and ministers are to govern the flock, that they may all understand you. And we just thank you for your great love and gentleness, that we are growing in grace, that we may reach the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. We pray, Lord, that you pour into your spirit. We pray, Lord, that you edify these messages. We want your great anointing, Lord, that you may be pleased in us, that we may serve you in every ounce of our being. We just thank you, King of kings and Lord of lords, 
who is faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. Soundtrumpetministries.com. You can email me at Derek, D-E-R-E-K, Hallett, H-A-L-L-E-T-T, letter J at gmail.com. I answer my messages frequently. So if you have any questions concerning a lesson or anything else, if I can help with them, then I will. If I can't, then we can perhaps turn to the word of God and get more understanding, or perhaps I'm not the person who can answer your question. I would encourage everyone to take everything to the Lord in prayer, because aside from his gentleness, we've got absolutely nothing. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. I love you all. Have a good week. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.